the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Oral Sessions again. What an episode we've got queued up here for you. We've been cranking it out with awesome guests, and we certainly deliver with this episode because we've got Taylor Rooks on the show. Uh, You guys may know her. She's a host of her own podcast, Take It There with Taylor Rooks from Bleacher Report, Turner Sports. This woman kind of just seems to be popping up everywhere. She's got this really cool aura about her that she just has this good energy that you can tell she's good people. She's a hard worker. She's busting her ass. She's carving her own path. And I got to chat to her on the show about all things Taylor Rooks, about what her journey's been like, what her story is, what it's like being um, such a beautiful woman in the sports media world. I mean, come on. Uh, Yeah, just such a cool conversation for us to be able to exchange stories, just kind of check in with each other, see what's going on. I've never met Taylor before. So for us to be able to jump on the podcast and just to just to meet her and feel her energy for the first time. She's awesome. She's so, so cool. Obviously, this chick is going places. We don't need me to say this, but I will say it here. Uh, She's going to be a gigantic household name. Uh, It's only a matter of time, and she's well on her way right now. Dare we say the next Oprah? Because that's what she would like her future to look like. And I co-sign. I'm in 100%. All right, guys, without further ado, let's just get into it. Here she is. Here's Taylor Rooks. So here on Oral Sessions, we love to have on great, strong females, especially females in the sports world. So I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Um, Where does your love of journalism stem from? Where does this all come from that makes you so great at what you do? Oh, thank you. I mean, honestly, I always tell people my love of journalism comes from my love of people. Like I love talking to other human beings. I have never met someone I didn't like. I just oh, love Oh, come on. People. That can't yeah. be true. That cannot <laughs> I, be true. Grace, I've met people I maybe didn't like, but I can always find something I like about them. If that, if that is, I can take that. (laughs) Yeah. So I love talking to people. I love having conversations. I feel like just in general, we don't do that enough. Like really sit down, get to know one another, learn about ourselves through the conversation, learn about them, you know, ask questions that will elicit really great answers. Like I think interviews are things that can happen in everyday life. You know, I don't think interviews are just what happens when you turn on a camera and then, you know, it, airs on TV or you post it on the internet. I think interview is just an exchange of thoughts and, you know, asking a question and getting a good answer. So I just love doing that. And this was kind of the perfect career for that. I totally can echo that. I feel like my husband's always like, you're always chatting to like the Uber drivers and like the waitress, like anytime we're out somewhere, he's like, how are, cause he's like, my husband is so antisocial. He's just always been like that. So it blows his mind. He's like, how do you just talk to everybody? I'm like, but my, I feel like I love what I do for the exact same reason. I really, and I feel like during the pandemic has really like shined a light on that of like, man, you really miss those real human interactions and getting to spend time with people. And I do feel like we're in this really funny age where I feel like it's 
everyone wants to be, I hate people. I love not leaving my house. And like, I, I get yeah, that to like a degree, but like, that. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's such a weird thing to say, but like, yeah, we, we thrive off being around other people and I thrive off other people's energies. It's, it's nice to, to be around that. So you and I are one and the same for that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I'm a believer that energy really does, you know, kind of circulate between other people. I think, you know, the reason that you have best friends is because you feel like your energy matched that other person. You know, when you fall in love with somebody, it's because your energies go together. So there is something about, you know, that just like exchange of like spirit and feel when you are around another human being, like there's something that that draws you to them. Uh, so what makes a good interview? You are crushing the interview game from somebody oh, who like, I've like played an interviewer on TV for a very long time uh, with WWE. So my background is I worked in WWE um, as a broadcast. I, sh- I don't air quote the broadcaster. I was a broadcaster. I was an interviewer. We would be handed questions and not actually getting to do the proper interviews like we get to do today. So now that I'm doing this podcast, I finally get to resubmerge myself into that. But you've been crushing the interview game. What makes an interview so great? Well, the one thing I'd say about interviews are, you know, interviews are a major two-way street, right? So yes, your interview is only going to be as good as the questions you ask, but it's also only going to be as good as how much that other person trusts you. You know, like somebody has to first off, agree to sit down with you and agree that they want to talk to you about their life, maybe reveal things that they haven't, you know, it takes two people to create a really great interview. I think the most important parts of an interview are like the first 10 to 20 minutes before the camera even starts rolling, you know, cause you just want to establish that, that rapport, you know, maybe get some jokes and like, just make everybody comfortable in that setting. But I think as simple as it is, the key to a good interview is listening. You know, so often, you know, people will, like, you know, younger students will send me like their reels of interview and want me to watch them. And the thing that really happens is you go into that interview with a list of questions that you have, and you're so focused on that list of questions that you're not even listening to what their answer is. And so when you are only trying to rattle off your questions, you're losing the opportunity for follow-ups. You probably missed something really cool or insightful that they said, because the interview at the end of the day, it's about them. It's not about you. It's not about asking all of those questions. And so much, I see people just forgetting to listen because all they want to do is talk and get to the next thing. So I think listening and being present um, is probably the best thing that you can do in an interview. And how hard is it to relay that to people? Because I feel like I've been preaching that for years as well. Like, just listen. All you have to do is listen and have a conversation and yeah, be receptive to what the person is saying to you. But like, that is not, it's not an easy skill to just like teach someone to do. I feel like it gets lost in translation a lot. Yeah, it definitely gets lost in translation. And granted, you know, I feel like when I very first started, I was absolutely doing that. You know, I was like coming in with my questions. I'm like, Ooh, question three is so good. I got to get to that right when I can, you know, but the interviews got so much stronger once I just kind of like, I started going in with just things I wanted to touch on as opposed to explicit questions that I wanted to, to ask. But I mean, when you're talking to like your mom or your dad or your friends, you're having a great conversation without knowing what you want to ask. And the reason that conversation is good is because they're telling you stuff and you are bouncing back on what they told you. I truly believe that all interviews, you should operate like you're talking to somebody that you know. I just think it's the best way to do it and the best way to actually listen and, you know, be there for the conversation. I think prep can be really key as well so that you know the person 
you know kind of what you want to talk about, but you're not relying on getting from point A to point B to C, like just to have that foundation laid down so that you can just have a natural conversation with somebody that you don't know prior to sitting down with them. Yeah, totally. And good prep is also what's going to give you a good follow-up. You know, if I'm interviewing somebody and in their answer, they mention a guy that maybe there's a history that they don't like each other, right? Or a history that they once played together, whatever. Your prep will tell you that you can follow up on their answer. The worst thing you can do is come into an interview unprepared. Like I feel like, and I'm sure you know this too, so much of interviewing is like taking in a bunch of information and then dumping it. Like when I'm going to interview somebody, I become an expert on them for like two weeks. <laughs> like full and stalker then, mode. I'm like, I know all yeah. your shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like an expert on them for two weeks. Yeah. I do the interview. I'm done. But then I got to make room to be an expert on the next person. Yeah. For two weeks. So <laughs> it's a lot of just like turning information in your head. <laughs> it really is just like crash jetting. Yeah. It's like flipping through someone's like Instagram and Twitter and yeah. what they're talking about and their likes and their interests. I'm like, oh my God, I, I know like way too much about you, but hopefully yeah, it will like I know everything shine like your social security number, but I can tell you like your birthday. I can tell your mom's maiden name, you know, <laughs> it's so funny. I love that. Oral sessions is proud to be presented by FanDuel. You guys never played FanDuel fantasy before. Great. FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly. When you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match, uh, why do I play FanDuel? I play FanDuel because I'm new to the fantasy game I kind of need somebody to hold my hand through the whole process. And the thing with the FanDuel Fantasy app is that it's so incredibly easy to use. Even a dumb dumb like me can make it work. And if you happen to be a fence sitter like yours truly, you guys can pick a new team every single game. You can switch it up. You can change your mind. It's all up to you. Ball is in your court. So FanDuel is offering new users a deposit match of up to 500 smackaroos when you make your first deposit, just go to fanduel.com slash cowherd for more info. Fanduel.com slash cowherd. Fanduel, more ways to win. So how do you set yourself apart from, from other, I don't even want to say interviews, but other like broadcasters, you know, in my research of getting ready for this interview, it's like every single thing that I click on is like Taylor Rooks, next big star, like everyone loves you, which is obviously great. That's what you know, that's a great line of success for you. But how do you set yourself apart to to just be in that position? Oh, I mean, that's very kind. I don't really know. Um, I don't know the exact answer, but I mean, what I say to everybody is there is one thing that we can all do better than every single person in the world. And that's be yourself. I think the more that people learn to harness that, the more they'll just inherently be separated from other people because nobody else can do that. You know, when I very first started, I thought I was supposed to play the role of journalist, you know, so I was rigid. I felt like every single story was like a Barbara Walters interview, you know, it's like that. I just thought... Yeah, I thought that's how you were supposed to act. But my world opened up so much. My opportunities opened up so much when I had the realization that like, no, what's going to make me stick out here is being you. Like there's only one you. And I feel like, you know, what I was doing as far as like doing these long form interviews and trying to really get to the heart of people, but making it fun and conversational and have an actual like ride ranging conversation 
there wasn't a lot of that in the space. You know, a lot of interviews were like five minutes long and they were very headliney. And you just wanted to ask the gotcha questions. You wanted to get like a really nice story, but we weren't learning who people actually were. And something I found a lot in interviews is, you know, we have an idea of somebody when they sit down with us. And so all of the questions that we ask them just confirm that idea. So I try to not do that. You know, I want the person to tell me about them opposed to my questions, just like perpetuating this narrative that is already out there about them. That is so, a great note. I'm going to take that and use that. That's brilliant. I love I mean, that. Because like when you think about it, if you think of like, you know, your favorite athletes, right? All the questions you want to ask are because like, it's what people already think about them. So you don't ever learn anything new, you know, because of that. Cause it's just like over and over in different ways and different words. Um, so I try my best to kind of go in tabula rasa, you know, blank slate and figure it out from there. So that when I do these interviews, they're creating news as opposed to just like feeding into what we already know. Cause you're learning something new and fresh and interesting about that person. Very smart. I love that. That's totally something I'm going to use. Cause I feel like as I prep for interviews and I'm just like, I just kind of come in to have a good conversation to like shoot the yeah. shit and like really just pick someone's brain. But you're right. I mean, you do all the research and you kind of get the stuff laid out of who the person is and you lean, it's easy to lean into that. So um, yeah, I get that. Early on in your career, do you feel like people tried to or like projected onto you to be that newsy broadcaster journalist type? Was that sort of the oh, box people sure. wanted to put you in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even at, you know, when I was in college at the University of Illinois, loved my experience, loved my professors, loved all my teachers and all that. But everybody has this very like traditional idea of what journalism is. And every single person there told me that what I needed to do was start in a small local market, work my way up. Then you become national. And I was like, fuck that. I'm not <laughs> living in Idaho. No. You know? so, so I was like, I'm going to do this the way that I want to do it. And that's by having my like personality out there, you know, just because one person did something one way does not mean that's how you have to do it. And I just think as human beings, we tend to lean on the majority and say, well, the majority did it like this, but the majority isn't every single person, you know, and it's okay to find a, a different path. And that wasn't the path for me. And yeah, everybody was like, you know, you act like this, you dress like this, you do your hair like this. I don't do any of that now <laughs> and it all worked out. So yeah, there's definitely an idea that people have of journalists, especially women yes. um, that I don't think you really have to, you know, live by. Yeah. You know, I think of like early on in my career, I started out in Toronto and I got into the wrestling space really early, but I remember, I, so TSN is basically the ESPN of Canada and one of the executives there was like, nobody will ever take you seriously if you're covering wrestling. And I was like, well, I don't really, I'm not in this to be taken seriously. So to speak. Yeah. Like, and also who cares about everyone? Yeah. Also, you know, blow it out <laughs> yeah. your ass, sir. Like here, <laughs> leave me alone. But it's, I mean, it's funny because I mean, my career has been able to grow so much because of leaning into wrestling and having that be the thing that I'm synonymous with. So it's just funny that I feel like people really early on, I think want to take someone with promise under their wing, but then they also want to shape them into who they think that they should be. And that can be very misleading. And I honestly do believe that people who are 100% fine with being themselves 
or people who are 100% fine with going against the grain scare others who aren't that way. Yes. Because you're like, well, why are they so confident? You know, like, why are they okay doing this? And I just think that kind of makes them try to temper your expectations because their expectations are, are so tempered, but, you know, doing the safe thing or the sure thing has a limit to it. I think like the sure thing has a ceiling. The things that don't have a ceiling are just the things that you are moved by. Um, so I'm, I'm a big believer in like doing the thing that fulfills you. Absolutely. I mean, I spent eight years in WWE and I just recently left like six months ago because I had hit that ceiling and it's like, let's go find a new thing. It's time to get out there and go back to the reason why you started doing this. Like, let's get back into the fun and and get back down to it. Um, So you're known for your hard hitting questions. Do you get nervous putting these together? Have you asked something that has gotten you in some hot water or elicited um, a bad response? Do I get nervous? No. Have I had a questions that got bad responses? Absolutely. Um, but no, I don't get nervous because I do truly and genuinely believe there is a way to ask any question. There's a way, a, you know, a respectful way to ask literally any question. So I always keep that in mind when I know it's something coming that someone might, somebody might not, you know, necessarily agree with. Um, but I would say, usually when I ask those questions, you can tell by, the person I'm interviewing's response Mm -hmm. that they really wanted to answer it because a lot of times those, you know, tough questions are like the narratives that are circulating out there about them that they haven't been able to address mainly because nobody asked them because people feel like they can't ask. So (laughs) I'm like, I'll ask, you know, because even if somebody doesn't want to answer, I always say like, no answer is an answer. Like the no answer is still, that's a moment. That's a part of their story. So I don't ever really get nervous. And obviously like some of it is like rapport that you have with the person as well. Friendships you have with people. Like I asked Kevin Durant if it was true that he didn't brush his hair and everybody on the internet was like, I can't believe he didn't ask that. But it's like, he's a jokester. Like, so he didn't really care. You know, it's everybody else that is like, why did you ask him that? He laughed. It was like a funny moment. I mean, I remember I asked Demar DeRozan, like, you know, I said that the narrative out there right now was that Toronto is only able to get to the finals with Kawhi, but not with you. Like, what's your response to that? He was so happy he was able to answer that because it's what everyone was saying, you know, but some people were like, oh my God, I can't believe you asked that. So, but I think it's our job to ask those questions, you know, like I wouldn't want to be known as somebody who doesn't ask those questions, you know? Sure. You wouldn't be in the position that you're in today. If, if you weren't doing that, I mean, you got to push that boundary and yeah, give those people the platform that they're probably dying to actually talk about instead of having to just go to Twitter and give their explanation of something like give somebody that platform to actually talk about the things that they want to talk about. Totally. Quick shout totally. out to the Raptors, by the way. My yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite interview that you've done that's kind of shaped and helped you grow to where you are. I mean, I, I got to see you and Barack Obama today and <laughs> I was going to say, if I said favorite interview, it's definitely Barack Obama, <laughs> but not because of that, but just because it was Barack Obama. I only talked to him for like five and a half minutes, but I was like, this is so It cool. looked amazing. Also for you to turn it on the camera incredible. and be like, Hey, I'm a big fan of your work. Like, did you die? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, like for a minute, 
froze and just smiled and was like, okay, Taylor, you got to <laughs> keep talking. But no, the crazy part was, so, you know, you open your computer, you click the zoom link, you wait for like two minutes, but then his face just pops up. Like it was his face <laughs> popping up more than it was him even saying my name, because I'm like, I sit in this chair every day and do Zooms and I'm sitting in a chair and it's Barack Obama on the Barack Zooms. saw the inside <laughs> of your house. Literally. Oh my God. I always say that to people. I'm like, um, he saw my bookcase. Like he's, he knows the home tour, you know, but no, that was super, super cool. And like, obviously my, obviously my favorite. I like still sometimes can't even believe I was able to do that. I'm like beaming for you after watching that. I was like, Oh my God, what a (laughs) moment. No, my cheeks hurt from smiling (laughs) so much, uh, after that interview. But as far as like shaping, mm, let me think. I mean, I guess I would say, well, I think the first interview is always the one that shapes it the most, you know, like with take it there with Taylor Brooks, the first interview was Jimmy Butler. Mm -hmm. And you keep in mind, like that was the first time, like I had ever, you know, I was executive producing. I was hosting it. I had also booked Jimmy. I was playing all these different hats, um, for that very first episode. And you look back at like so many different things that you would have done. Like every time I watch an interview, I'm like, damn, I should have done something differently. So the list of things I would have done differently for the first one is like very long, but you know, you try to learn from that. And with each you know, each one, you don't want the, like the last interview you did to be a best interview because you want the next one to be your best interview. So I try to keep that in mind, but I probably say, uh, the Jimmy Butler interview. Who do you want to book on your show? Who's your dream guest? Oh my God. Serena. Yes. Is she literally obsessed? She seems like she's a very hard woman to track down. Totally. I'm like, she doesn't really do sit downs. And when you see her talking for a long time, it's like her documentary on HBO. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but that is like, uh, I would, I don't want to say I would freak out more than Barack Obama, but it would be equal if not a little more. <laughs> I love Serena Williams. I mean, I've just, you know, been watching her my whole life. Um, and she just represents so many amazing mm-hmm. things. I just have so many questions for her. Oh, I hope that that happens because I mean, damn, that is like tippy top of a bucket list to get totally. Serena Williams 100%. to sit down. I feel like you can make this happen. I think you just need to manifest it, put it out there. <laughs> hey, let you got to help know. me. You have to think about it too. Yes. We'll put it in the universe. We'll get our synergy <laughs> out there. We'll make it happen. Um, so one thing I want to talk to you about that um, I think any woman in the sports world can relate to is the pressure of being a female in sports. And you can't get anything wrong. You have to be totally. perfect all the time. Um, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's not the same for men. I mean, you work with men that can have a slip up on air and it's whatever on to the next, no big deal. If a woman does it, you don't know anything about the sport. You don't belong there. How dare you? It's, it can be crippling at times. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of a situation? I'm sure you must have. You're nodding your head. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we, we probably find ourselves in that situation every single day. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know, women are plagued with being, you know, too much and not enough at the same time. But when there's a woman in this space, I'm always so incredibly confident that she's amazing at her job because we don't have any other choice, but to be amazing at our job. You know, mediocrity is not a luxury that is afforded to us Mm -hmm. in the same way it is afforded to, 
to men in the space, but you just can't let that get in your head too much because that's one of those things that attempts to kind of dim that light, right? It's one of those things that attempts to stop you from being you just a little bit because you, you don't want to mess up, mm-hmm. you know, and it sucks because, you know, women, if it's, it feels like if one woman makes a simple mistake, it indicts all women. <laughs> so you have this responsibility of the entire gender on your shoulders, um, at all times, which genuinely isn't fair. Yeah. Um, and obviously that is just a result of the patriarchy in general, but it sucks. It does. Suck. But I just think the best thing that you can do is focus on being the best you every single day. And most importantly, understand that anyone who thinks that is legitimately an idiot. Yes. So like, who cares what the idiots have to say about your work or your mess up? No logical human being um, believes that to be true. So I'm not trying to appease, you know, the idiots. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's one thing, I think if you're looking at like, you know, if you have a mess up on air or you mispronounce someone's name or you get, you know, a stat wrong or something, of course the internet erupts with that. And that's one thing that can be put in one category. But if it does come from somebody that's higher up than you that is like, Oh my God, I can't believe you did this. Like that is just such a, it's such a shitty spot to be in. Yeah. And that has happened to me. Yeah. Oh, me too. Me too. 100%. And it's, it sucks because then all of a sudden you're like, damn, now I've got to fight back to get back in this person's good graces. Cause now maybe they think I don't actually know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It can be so hard. I mean, even like, you know, I was the first woman to do commentary for Monday night raw and it was such a amazing experience to do, but I didn't love doing commentary. I never wanted to be a commentator, but it was the role that came up and I was like, well, shit, if anyone's going to do it, I want to do it and I want to try to do it. But then when I stopped doing it, I was like, I just, I really did kind of feel that pressure of like, man, there could have been like a little girl at home that really does want to do this. And I was trying to open that door for her. And it really does become that pressure of wondering about what the next generation is going to feel coming through and what the doors are going to open up for other women to have those other opportunities. It's like, it's so overwhelming. And sometimes, and you know, I go back and forth as to whether I believe that this is the right thing. Sometimes I think to myself, like, there has to be, you know, this group of women who is built for, you know, the harshness, the criticism, the shitty stuff that happens to us every day. Like, there has to be these women who can sustain that so that women later don't have to. Yeah. And I think that that is true, but I hate that that's true because I don't think that any woman should have to sustain it. Right. Like, like we at this point are experts in how to handle mistreatment. We're experts on how to handle disrespect, but we should actually be telling people not to mistreat and not to disrespect, you know, but the thing that happens with women is that the burden is always on us to have to just deal with what comes our way instead of the stopping the things coming our way. So I hate that I believe that, you know, it's us who has to go through this for others, but it feels like that is kind of, you know, the reality of the situation. Yeah. And even looking at, you know, over my duration of being in this career and same for you, it's like, you look back to like, at least from my experience of it was like early on was finding a way to like hang out in the boys club and be able to hang and own that space and just laugh stuff off 
not let anything bother you. But as things are obviously progressing at such an incredible pace and seeing the way that things are changing and seeing the way that women are being treated differently. And I think a huge help from that as well as having other women in executive positions and writing positions on creative teams, because that really set such a different tone than coming in and being the talent, so to speak. And I feel like that makes other people feel like they have more leeway to push you around in a certain regard. Totally. I agree. And you know, you're, I do think it is getting better. Absolutely. And I think it's important to celebrate those small wins, you know, and I appreciate the progression that that is happening, but you're right. So much of it is like, it's not just those of us that are in front of the camera. You need women making decisions. You know, you need women in administrative positions. You need, we need those allies, like all from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, when you speak about allies, it's also important that men are on this train too, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, it's probably most important that men are on this train too. So it's like so many different things that, you know, play a role in why, things are this way, but also how we can move them from this way. But it's definitely a step-by-step process and it's going to take all different types of people for us to get to the ultimate goal, which is not even saying that there are women in sports. It's just people in sports because no one ever says men in sports, you know, like we're treated as like this niche group, you know, and it's like, no, we're actually in the group. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're in the group. We're in the group chats. We know what is happening. (laughs) We get it. We see it. We know. Yeah. The next time you're watching basketball, I've got the perfect way for you to get in on the action for free. I'm talking about NBA in play. It's absolutely free to play on the FanDuel app and features all the fun of live betting. NBA in play turns every quarter of every game into a free contest where you can win real cash prizes. So while you're watching the game, all you have to do is predict the outcome of plays and game props before they happen to claim your share of the prize pool. Best of all, a new contest starts every quarter of every game, giving you even more ways to win. FanDuel is the exclusive home for NBA in play. So the action's always available right at your fingertips on the FanDuel app. The app is so easy to use and it takes less than two minutes to sign up. And it doesn't matter where you live or where you're traveling to because NBA InPlay is available in every state. Don't miss your shot. Get in the game and download the FanDuel app to start playing NBA InPlay today. You've done a really great job, it seems, of being able to balance or I guess that's not even the right word, but people want to put you in a box of this beautiful woman that's in sports and people really want to make that your thing where you, it seems have just brushed that off. Like if that's what you think about me, cool. You can tell, you know, say I'm pretty, whatever, but you go in and do such a kick-ass job at what you do. How do you, I guess, like stay on that path of not letting people put you in just that one box? I mean, even just like Simple things. I was talking to um, one of our producers on the show, Brittany, last night. We're talking about like women in sports putting together their outfit for the day and wondering how that's going to affect how like how people receive them. And you just have to think about the minutia of so many different little things. Yeah, which totally sucks. But I think what I always say to myself is like every single thing and every single person on the planet is more than one thing. So human beings that think of like one adjective about you and make that the only adjective about you are incredibly close-minded, you know, like in what world is somebody only pretty, you know, or only cute or whatever the adjective is that you're using. I recognize that I am 
full of adjectives, you know, just like you're full of adjectives, like every human being is. So I know that about myself and try not to let anybody's view, you know, change that. And I'm fine with somebody saying that they think, I don't know, they like my outfit or that they think I'm cute, whatever superficial thing it is. I'm fine with the compliment. I'm just not fine with only being complimented. You can't just focus on what I look like. You have to focus on the things that I'm saying too, and the questions that I'm asking as well. And I know sometimes men feel like because they're being, you know, nice, it's and respectful, it's harmless. But the more you focus on that, you're actually in a lot of ways taking my agency away because you're taking away my voice, you know, which is the thing that that I'm here to do. You're focusing on on things I have no control of. Who cares if you think I'm pretty? Like. That's my mom and my dad. That's not me. That is not a thing that I worked for. You know what I mean? So it's even really not as big of a compliment as some people might think, you know, the best thing you can talk about is how much you loved my interview, you know, and how much you enjoyed the work and how, oh, that was a good questions. And I could tell you worked hard on this. And like, that is actual stuff that is, you know, substantive and matters to me. Um, but it kind of is what it is. Everybody tries to put women in a box, but I would say you're, you're not, you know, the box it puts you in, you're the space you take up. So I just always try to take up a hell of a lot of space. <laughs> Good. <laughs> hell yeah. You know, I would find, um, I, a certain, I, I went through a very, like, I'm like, I'm going to wear pantsuits, like really cool, Pantsuits. I was oh, like, I'm sure they thought of something to say about the pantsuits. Oh my yeah. God. It's like, <laughs> guys, like this is, this is a proper cool outfit. Everyone relax. But like the way that certain uh, men would be like, if I wore like a tight dress, like you look great today, that like they would literally their, like, their like relationship with me that day would be different. See, that's insane. But no, I absolutely understand. Like it's, it's crazy. I mean, I did an interview. I'm not exaggerating. I wore like a turtleneck sweater and red pants. I mean, the only skin you could see was my hands and my face. All the YouTube comments are like, Oh, she's trying to look sexy or like this outfit. I'm like in a turtleneck and pants. Like that's the other thing that I feel like men don't realize is we cannot control the curves of our body. Yes. So like I might be wearing a turtleneck and pants and you say that on me, it looks sexy, but somebody who's maybe a little smaller, you think nothing of it. You can't like weaponize my body against me and say like, I can't wear this because of how it looks on my butt. It's like your butt's your butt. You know what I mean? Like, can I not look cute because of my butt? <laughs> just like, yeah, that, let my butt live. Yeah, what that the makes hell? literally no sense. So it's just, it's crazy the way men see some things and like that they don't recognize that that's what they're doing. I was doing um, a kickoff panel for one of uh, for WWE pay per view. I just felt like I couldn't win at one point where it's like, hey, I'm either not sexy enough or it's too sexy. I don't know what I'm doing, but I was wearing this dress. And to be fair, it definitely gave like more cleavage than I was really aware that I don't have a whole lot happening right here. So I was like, oh, I mean, whatever. I didn't think much about it, but we like did our first on cam. And all of a sudden, one of the producers comes running out with a men's jacket and goes, you have to wear this the show. And I I did the rest of the broadcast in a men's jacket. Yep. Were you so mad? 
I was embarrassed. Yeah. I was embarrassed because I was like, what happened? Like, did a nipple pop out? Like, what happened? And like, to see like my Twitter blow up of everyone's like, why is she, why are you wearing this jacket? Like, yeah, what this happened? like big ass jacket. <laughs> I, oh that like God. just popped in my head that I forgot that that happened, but I remember that being like the producer coming out and he didn't even want to tell me. He was horrified to tell me because he was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, but you have to put on this jacket. And yeah. What a Wait, I have like a super weird question, not even weird, just like random question. And I guess maybe you don't know because the world's been closed. You haven't been out that much. But have you found men be more interested in you because you're pregnant? That is a hard question to answer because I've not been out that much. Yeah. I did have one man follow me through a CVS and be like, yo, you want to go hang out? I'm like, no, I'm super yeah. pregnant. <laughs> a lot of my friends who've been pregnant has been like, it's very weird. Like some men are super into like, it's something about the fertility and the, you know what I mean? It's something about it. So I didn't know if you had, you had experienced that as well, because I would even say from like my husband, he was like, it's especially like really early on. He's just like, Oh, what's happening to your body over here? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, but I mean, yeah. get it, get it while you can. Cause I don't know what's going to happen in a few months. <laughs> Enjoy it now because who knows in two months, what's going to happen. But yeah, it is very funny. I feel like oh, I you just it. give out. It's like your, your, uh, your animalistic instincts kick in. Totally. Yeah. Which I'd be like, Please get away from me, sir. Like, <laughs> yes. Men feel so entitled to women's bodies. It's they do. It's very weird. Yeah. It's very weird. I know. And it's supposed to be a compliment of like, oh, I'm wanted and desired. Like, you know what? I don't feel like it right now. Let me just put on my sweatpants yeah. and like <laughs> not deal with this right now. Um, so you come from a very long line of athletes. You come from a hell of a pedigree, you know, niece of St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Famer, uh, uh, Lou Rock, niece of former Pittsburgh Steeler, New, New Orleans Saints NFL player Marv Woodson. Uh, your dad was football player as well. Did this set you up for this success? Do you think like coming from all of these men that have been in these very important positions, did this kind of set you up for that? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely taught me like how to move in the spaces. You know, I was never like starstruck by anybody or I never thought that somebody who played a sport was like different than anybody who didn't. To me, my uncle Lou is just like, this uncle I loved who I would climb all over and run around the house, but I would see how everyone else acted towards him. And I just think it kind of made me realize that these people that, you know, we admire because we watch them play their sport on TV are literally just like us. Like there's literally no difference except for they're good at a sport. So I think that it has helped me in that sense, but also the different things that they have like taught me and instilled in me, I think are really set me up for success. You know, I always tell everybody that when I was growing up, if me and my dad were like at a park or like somewhere public every day that we were doing that, if he saw a person, he would say, Taylor, is that person a leader or a follower? And I would have to like explain why I thought they were that thing. And then every night he would ask me if I was a leader or a follower today. And I'd have to tell him why. And he would always just try to explain to me that like how you are perceived by people is like incredibly important. And you always want to do things that make you a leader. What a good dad move. Wow. Now my dad's like, great. Both my parents are absolutely amazing. You know, every single day, literally every day, they would say, you can do whatever you put your mind to. So I've always just like grown up. Uh, you know, thinking that. And my uncle really taught me that you are the only person, you know, that can do the things that you do. That's something that he would always tell me. So 
there's just like different things I took from the athletes in my family that I think have helped with my career. Yeah. I mean, for me, certainly not coming from a line of athletes um, and getting into this space. I mean, I remember like sitting down with Steve Nash and being like, that's Steve Nash. Like I had that moment of freaking out because I was not used to being around people like that, that it took me a little bit to get used to being around these people that are these like revered athletes or people on TV or whatever. It takes a sec to like shake that off if you're not around it all the time. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. But I think once you get there, you're like, oh, it's it's so easy. And everyone is flawed. You know, I'll never forget. Someone said to me, great men are not always good men. And I was like, that is so true. And so I always try to tell myself that just like I really try not to put anyone on a pedestal. Um, I also don't want, you know, to think that anyone, you know, is above fault or mistakes, regardless of how famous you are, how good you are at something. I think that also helps in the interviews too, like just to always come from that human element too. So I think, yeah, a lot of it just, you know, played a role. Hey, football fans, the 2021 draft is right around the corner and FanDuel is hosting a free $20,000 mock draft contest. Put on your GM hat and predict the top 10 picks of the 2021 NFL draft for a chance at a share of $20,000 in prizes. It's easy to play. Just make your draft picks and get points for every pick that you get right. The person with the most points wins the top prize. And don't worry if you only nail a few of your picks. You could still walk away with a piece of that 20G prize pool. The best part of this contest? It is 100% free for you to enter. Just download the FanDuel Fantasy app and click on the free to play button. Then lock in your picks for the 2021 draft and follow the action live on draft night. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Have you had any mentors in your career? Who are some of the people that have taken you under their wing and like given you some, you know, your big breaks and given you advice throughout your your career? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many. I mean, I think about in college who a guy named Joel Cox, who like saw my blog and decided I should work with Fox sports for the rest of my college career. And then I was paired up with a guy named Fletcher page who literally taught me everything in college about the business. Like that was one of the most important things of my career was, you know, being paired up with him or, you know, Quentin Carter, who hired me when I first graduated out of college, when I look back on, I'm like, it was insane that you hired a 21 year old to do five days a week of live TV. It's one way to you cut your teeth, right? Make it work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there have just been so many people that have just believed in me and thought that I could do it. And it's, it's, I'm just so, so thankful for that. And then I have people now that, you know, I ask for advice all the time, whether it's, you know, Carrie Champion or Bomani Jones. Or oh, like, I love Bomani. I used to work with him in Bomani's Toronto. What a guy. The best. Like he's truly the best. Um, and then, you know, just people that are my friends in the business, that it's just nice to have people that understand, you know, what's happening and what's, what's going on and what you should do. And if they've been there before, all of that is, is really, really important. So what do you want to do? What is like the log line of your career? Where do you see yourself, you know, in five years, 10 years? What's what's the ultimate gig for you? So I always say this, like, I don't think I have the exact thing, like what it is, what platform it's on. I just always think about how I was younger and I would come home from school and I knew that in a minute my mom would be watching Oprah. And like, I knew that 
75% of the neighborhood was going to be watching Oprah because like Oprah's show was like a societal cultural thing that everyone watched. And if you weren't watching it, you felt like you missed out. You needed to figure out what she was talking about. I mean, she had such a stranglehold on America. Like everyone was reading the same book because of Oprah's book club. Like love an I Oprah book think, club. Yeah. Yeah. Love like she, she was so good at interviewing that she literally like had, like saying that someone is asking you questions like Oprah is like, she has coined what a type of question is, you know, you know, that when you're sitting down with Oprah, you're probably going to cry, you know, you're going to be emotional. Like <laughs> yeah. Oprah became like a feeling. Um, and she just became a necessary part of like the fabric of the world. Um, so I don't know what my ultimate goal, like looks like, but I know what it feels like. And I think I would just love to have conversations that people feel like they have to hear um, and have to tune into. I feel like you are setting yourself up for that space. Cause honestly, before I even asked you that question, like when I was putting stuff together yesterday, I was like, I feel like that's where she needs to be heading is in that oh, Oprah space. <laughs> yeah, right. Again, put out that juju. We're doing all this universe stuff. Yeah, Make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, in, in a perfect world in like five, 10 years, you can do the Oprah thing. I'll do the Kelly Ripa thing. Yes. And we'll just, we'll meet each other later. <laughs> oh, I'm so into this idea. Book it. Let's do it. Book it. <laughs> so I'm very sad that, so I used to live in New York and I feel like if I was still living in New York, I would force us to be able to go out and hang out and have some drinks. Oh, we would be hanging out. Absolutely. I love a good dinner and drinks. It's truly my favorite thing. Where are your so, spots? Where do you hang out? Oh, I go to so many different places. Like I love restaurants, love going to eat. So when the world was open, there's this place everyone goes to now. It's called Last Laugh. I like to go there just to get a drink. I love getting dinner at like Philippe's. I love Mr. Chow. I know those are very trendy places. I even like catch, but I love sushi. My favorite sushi places are kind of like hole in the wall places or kind of ducked off spots. I go to Chinatown a lot. Um, I have my favorite Thai place is a place called Nori, which it's cute. It's small, but you get good cocktails and great Thai food. So so many different places. So don't worry when the world opens and you're back here, we'll get that done. <laughs> Please. No, I would love that. Have you ever gone to sushi by Boo? No. Oh, put that on your list. That's Where's I, that? I think there's a couple different locations, but the one that I went to, I think was Lower East Side. And this was a while ago I went. Look, because it, it's really small. It's like down a little, like down the steps into a little spot. It only holds like 10, 15 people and it is exceptional. You must Okay, go. amazing. You know, I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a New York snob. I usually don't go past like 23rd street, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds like my, my vibe. I tell everyone, I'm like, no, like New York is really downtown. Like that's where you go eat. That's where you hang out. Like, you know, you don't really go to Times Square or Midtown unless it's work or anything like that. Whenever I have friends come in town, they're like, let's go to Times Square. I'm like, you go to Times Square, I'll catch you after. <laughs> yes. I live in Las Vegas. It's the same here. People are like, let's go to the strip. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Like I'm not doing that. <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. Um, what is the dating scene in New York like right now? Oh, During girl, a I pandemic mean, on top of that. I cannot even imagine like 
not having someone in the pandemic. Oh, so you were, you were in a relationship. I actually met someone in the pandemic. Oh, good for you. Amazing. Okay. Um, and I can't imagine just like not having somebody to talk to in the pandemic. Honestly. Um, and I, but I can understand like why that would be so difficult and why it would feel like so lonely. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, like whether it's a friend, whether it's someone you are intimately involved with, whatever, I just, I feel for anyone who has felt like very isolated uh, throughout this time. But yeah, I mean, a lot of my friends, and this is, a, I think, a sad side effect of it. You feel like you you lost a year of that. You know, you lost a year of maybe that chance of meeting someone that you care deeply for. Give us those prime years back, please, and thank you. I'm looking good right now. <laughs> Luckily, <it works>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just think that sucks. It, it really, really does. Because you know, it's fun. You you go out and you kind of flirt and you meet someone you know, and that becomes a thing. Like that was a, a nice little part of going out with your friends. And so not having that, I know it's like, it's a lot of apps and all that stuff, but I dating is, Oh, I get sick thinking about well, it. Good. You don't have to think about it. You're locked up. Who cares? So this must've been somebody that you knew prior. I would imagine. No. Wow. Yeah. No. Okay. You don't have to give like a lot of details, but I'm just like genuinely curious. Yeah. No, no, no. All I will say is, and I'll tell you after this, um, I will say that I have been in two serious relationships and both of them have started with a DM. Okay. <laughs> but that's the way the world works now. That's the way the world works now. <laughs> it is what it is. It also gives you like a little bit of leeway to like, look at the DM, search through like their feed. Yeah. Like, okay. I could maybe consider I this. I do this. Yeah. Well, good. Good. Hey, love is love. You found love during a pandemic. Good for you, girl. I'll think of that <laughs> sort of when I think of 2020. Yes. <laughs> uh, one last thing that I wanted to talk to you about, um, and this is just something I've like been just, just over the duration of this interview is you are just a very there's like a very natural charm to what you do. And oh, thank you. Yeah. No, it's like, it, and it's funny because I feel like, ch like checking out some of your work and coming into this, I'm like, oh, I get why everybody really thinks you're great. There's just this That's like, so sweet. there's just this like transparency and this authenticity that comes with what you do that's not putting on any kind of an error. Uh, there's no ego involved, it seems. And that's a big rarity in our business. So it's, it's cool to see that. I applaud all the work that you've been doing, but sometimes working with people that have these insane egos, it, people really get out of control sometimes. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But that is so incredibly kind of you to say. So thank you so much. But I agree. I mean, I never want to, you know, leave an interview or leave a place of work or whatever. And that person doesn't feel like they had the best time. Like I want people to feel like I'm fun to work with and easy to work with. I think the best thing that you have in this business is your reputation and people like to work with people they like to work with, you know? So that's just what I try to tell myself, not even just through work, but just like moving through life. You never want to you know, you want to be good to people. People are so mean <laughs> and I just, I don't want to be that way. <laughs> it does drive, like, I get that. I, I hear that loud and clear, but it, it sometimes it blows my mind when I see other people that do walk around with these egos and are like mean to people on set. I'm like, how did you get ahead? I don't understand. I, I just don't yeah, understand also, how that works. What do you get 
out of that. You know what I, it just, it doesn't make, I don't understand the advantage of that. I feel like people like to separate themselves from other people and being mean to them makes them feel like they have a leg up or something. I don't know. Yeah. And like, you don't, we just don't <laughs> like you. <laughs> we all think you're an asshole. Sorry. Yeah. Like only the nice kids sit at this table. <laughs> yes. 100%. Well, Taylor, I really appreciate you coming on the show and hanging out with me again. When I come through New York, we're going to go hang out and have some cocktails and have a time. Oh God, I'm going to DM you my number. We're going to get, we're going to get this going. Done and done. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, and I will, next time I see you, I'll, I'll wear my same green shirt and we'll be matching and get to go. Oh, we'll be matching. Yes. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. I, I truly, truly enjoyed this. It was an amazing start to my day. So I yeah, and um, Oprah and Kelly Ripa, you heard it here first. Yes. Universe. I hope you're <laughs> listening to this podcast. Yes. <laughs> it's out there. Let people know. (laughs) All right. Thanks, girl. Bye. Big thanks to Taylor for hanging out with me. I'm sure that you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I could have hung out and uh, just shot the shit with her for a long time. She's such an interesting, charming, charming is the word to describe Taylor Rook. She's very charming. You want to hang out with her. You want to get to know her. You, you want to do what she's doing. I'm in. Sign me up. So yeah, big thank you to Taylor Rooks for hanging out and, uh, yeah, check out all things Taylor Rooks. You guys can follow her, um, on her Instagram, on her Twitter, just check out Taylor Rooks, learn more about her. You can also check out this interview on my YouTube page. If you go to YouTube, just search Renee Paquette. It will pop up. We've got all the interviews from oral sessions. This is one you're going to want to check out and see the video for certainly. So like, subscribe, check that all out. Also, the volume has their own YouTube channel. We can check that out as well. Like, subscribe, share, and follow us all on Twitter and Instagram. All of those good things. I say it every week. I don't know if I need to keep saying it, but I said it anyways. That's all I got. (laughs) Uh, All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Taylor Rooks. I'll see you guys next time. 